Previously on Transformers Chronicles. And why did Bessie not get destroyed by the other trucks to make Soundwave space gizmo? Uh, because plot. And I know you said that you were putting song lyrics in the summary of issue 10, but I couldn't figure that song out. Yeah, I can't even remember now. I guess we'll never know. There were two songs. You put in lines from Homeward Bound by Simon and Garfunkel and from Call Me by Blondie. It's, it's Delvin. Delvin. How did Jason manage to move every one of my things to the opposite side of the room? We stayed after we recorded to help him out. Uh, it took us hours. He assured us it would be funny. It wasn't. Nope, not at all. He did tell a couple of pretty funny D's nuts jokes. Yeah, those were pretty funny. Well, that goes without saying. Anyway, referencing two songs, Ricky Mistake. They were good choices, but having too many things going on at the same time overloads the bit. That's good advice. I guess, being only human, I am born to make mistakes. Hey, it's good to see you, man. We missed you around here. Having Jason on last time was great, and it was fun to hear you on Action Film Face-Off, but things just have not been the same around here since you left. I appreciate the kind words, but it can't be that bad. Cooley or Chudley? That is the question. Pat has been asking me questions nonstop since we recorded the last episode. Wow. He calls me at work. He sends me... And that was a text from Pat asking me if Megatron can fly. Look, I take my role as Sherpa very seriously, but a man has his limits. Don't worry. Don't worry, John. Everything's going to be okay. I'm back now, and I'm here to help you out. Go splash some water on your face, and I'll handle some of these questions. Thanks, Stelvin. You're the best. No problem, man. Now, Pat, of course Megatron can fly. When Delvin's done filling Pat's head with lies, we'll cover the Transformers issue 11 and talk about Jetfire tonight on Transformers Chronicles, the Marvel Years. Transformers Chronicles, the Marvel Years. Hello, and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. In case you're new to the show, welcome, and let me tell you what this thing is about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, the Transformers. But I won't be going at it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companions. First up, a man who, despite his lifelong love of comics, never encountered Marvel's Transformers before now. It's fine. It happens. So he wants to see what all the fuss is about with these robots in disguise. Let's welcome the founder of the Longbox Crusade, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Christados. Welcome, Pat. Hello and welcome back, Delvin. It's good to have you back. Thanks, man. Good to be back. Tell me something about your life. Well, uh, something about my life since then. Uh, I had a good time talking with Jason before, so that was a good time. Uh, on the previous episode, but we did miss you. I didn't uh, listen to it. Yeah, which is all right. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it. It was a great show. <laughs> he did a good Anything job. Anything else? He did he a did. good job. He did. Yeah. Uh, you know, not much else going on. It's getting cold up here in this area where me and John are from, so uh, we're kind of getting transformed into that when uh, last week it was 80, and uh, the next day it's like 40-some degrees out. <laughs> so the weather <laughs> is transforming here. Well, you guys are more than welcome to come and move to Charlotte. Uh, It just got down to like the 60s here, and I started grumbling and complaining. I can't speak for any other Charlottonians, Charlottonians. I'm not sure what it's called. We should move on. Next (laughs) up, we have our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics. Hi, Maggie. The provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. John, talk to me. How's your life transformed since we talked last? God, it's been a minute since we talked last. Didn't get to Well, it's nice to have you back, as Pat said. It was fun doing that with Jason, but it's always good to have the kosher but duties, you know, back in good hands. <laughs> Duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We should point out that when we're talking about temperatures, you know, just because we do have a at least a bit of fandom from across the pond, that we're talking Fahrenheit in Celsius uh, or whatever <laughs> moon temperature you use over there. I think it, it went from being about 30 degrees yours down to like negative 104. I, I might have 
and forgot to carry a two or something. But no, nah, I'm pretty sure that's close enough. Not much is going on. Uh, I'm making sure I check off all the nerd cred uh, marks on the bingo thing. I'm starting a new Dungeons and Dragons campaign with my wife and a couple of our friends. So that'll be cool. Is this a podcast? Oh, no, we're just we're running the game over at each other's houses and things. But we are doing it to get our mindset into a D&D uh, mood. So because we're going to be doing a, a couple of Dungeons and Dragons related uh, podcast things again. We did some in the past, but my daughter uh, was bugging me about it. Hi, Carlson. How are you doing? She doesn't listen to this one. She only listens to the ones where we talk about D&D. So she uh, wants me to do another D&D one so she can <laughs> listen to it. Well, I tell you what, I don't have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons experience, but I can speak for how good it is to have adult friends getting together and doing things that you have in common, nerd-wise or geek-wise, whatever term that you want to use for it. Like years ago, me and some uh, buddies in the Air Force, we got together and we had what we called Fight Club and uh, we would play board games like so what started off as Risk and it went up to Axes and Allies, which oh, there are yeah. a ton of Oh, man, it was so fun. We'd start at like six o'clock. We'd go to like three in the morning. Oh, <laughs> man, just just all sorts of fun. I loved it. So, yes, it's good to have some friends to get together and do that with. Yeah, we play board games too a lot of the times. We don't we don't get too much into the military strategy ones. We, uh, we do play a lot of the sci-fi related strategy stuff. There's yeah. a, a couple of a couple of games that'll take just as long as a good axis now ice game i mean the last one we played we wound up realizing we played for 13 hours without realizing it <laughs> <laughs> nice. i won of course <laughs> can't remember what game that was oh anyway but can't forget about you welcome back again but how's your life transformed since we talked last well it's been a minute and i have been to let's see I went to a couple of friends' weddings, one in Vegas, one in Virginia, to see some buddies get finally married, uh, both in their own ways. You know, kind of was, you know, we're, we're thinking that maybe they couldn't find that special someone. And so it turns out that it, they did find someone special. So love wins again. It's a good yeah, thing. Till all and are one. Till all are one. <laughs> <laughs> Very Two well at a said. time. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, went just uh, this past weekend to uh, my mom's barbecue. Uh, she has an uh, annual barbecue. And it was good seeing my mom because I hadn't seen her in about a year, which is ridiculous of me. But it was good to see her, too. It, it's good to see family. That's that's a different kind of love. But, you know, uh, but it was it was awesome. So that's my life. The three of us will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series end at issue 80. Pat will be encountering these comics for the first time, and I will answer any questions he has to the best of my ability. And John will help, of course, too. Best of his ability. And seeing how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So, if you guys are ready, mm-hmm. that's oh, yes. good. Awesome. Let's talk some Transformers then, right after this promo. Oh. The Transformers will return after these messages. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold. You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents. Of course. Supervillain Team-Up. Good idea. Youngblood X-Force. Mm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers Issue 11. Here's John with the cover description. Okay, thanks, Delvin. The United States version of this cover was drawn by Herb Trimpey. 
who also does the interior art. This cover has the standard Transformers logo with a corner box of Optimus Prime and more than meets the eye phrase that we've come to expect. The Transformers in the lettering is in a green font this time around. The cover itself is a miscolored mash of an action scene where a cool-looking new Decepticon jet, who we find out by the text, is named Jetfire. Uh, He's attacking a group of humans and Autobots from the air. Black text tells us that he soars supreme. Buster appears in the bottom corner, apparently about to take the brunt of Jetfire's attack. A concerned Jesse and Sparkplug watch helplessly as a miscolored Blue Streak and Bumblebee both lie injured on the ground to the left and right, respectively. Folks in the UK read this story in Transformers UK 37 and 38. Number 37 had cover art by John Ridgway, which showed Buster front and center facing us while various plot elements line the edge of the page. The text tells us in a blurb written with Pat Samson in mind, saying, In search of Buster and the Creation Matrix. Ooh. 38 is just a reprint of the U.S. version. Now, I know Pat's going to tease me again for harping on the color scheme, but the miscoloring here does not do this color for me any favors. It's a shame because, you know, Herb Trippy's art is pretty solid. There's great detail in the faces of the robots and humans, and Jetfire's pretty visually impressive, but Blue Streak is colored like Hound for some reason, and Bumblebee is red, and therefore looks like Cliff Jumper or one of the miscolored red toys of Cliff Jumper or of Bumblebee that were put out, which I talked about back in the Cliff Jumper Transformers Spotlight in Episode 1, if you're feeling nostalgic. You want to go listen to that. After last month's coloring choices for the locos, making it really pop out the green here decidedly does not. Uh, these things, as well as the lack of backgrounds, which have been unfortunate default lately, uh, really take away from the quality of the cover as a whole for me. Uh, but Pat, you're encountering this cover for the first time. So what did you think of it? Well, you know, I think I agree with you on this one. It is really oddly deceiving. Just the whole yellow of it that's on here. The whole background is all yellow. For the sky. Mm-hmm. It didn't dawn on me that the two were miscolored, mainly because, you know, I'm new. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, just Transformers. Okay. Some robots and a big kind of a jet. And when they say Jetfire, I know what Jetfire looks like in the toy. And I'm like, that's not Jetfire. That doesn't look like him. Yeah, we will get to that later. Okay, too. good. There's some pretty specific reasons why he is drawn the way he is in this. Okay, good. I, I, I want to know why. Well, that's what it's for. The art is nice. I mean, the robots, Bumblebee looks really cool looking. And um, is it, who's the other guy? It's Blue Streak. Streak. Blue Streak looks, you know, decently drawn as well, too. It's up, like you said, for the color. So he's like green. And then you got a tree on the other side that's green. And then they use the green in the transformer. So, yeah, I, I know they're trying to, you know, you got a really big picture of Jetfire here. So they're trying to make him stand out and cause some suspense of, oh, what's going to happen here? Right. So it's, it's good to see Jesse on the cover and spark plug. Dumb, what'd you think? I think it needed O. O would have completed the cover. <laughs> no. Maybe they could have just like put a like a fading head of him, you know, that fading image in the background out of you know, <laughs> <laughs> for the memory of O. <laughs> in memory of O. In all seriousness, I like the cover. Yeah, the, the coloring is off. And not just of the Transformers, which knocks it down a notch for me, having the all green colored blue streak and the red color bumblebee but jetfire looks cool uh Mm -hmm. and i know there's probably not much they could have done with the background but i think a background would have helped a little bit yeah something going on yeah i'm like i know sometimes rush covers and things like that and i I understand that but a, a background would have helped and maybe even a different color transformers logo even on um, a tree in the back yeah yeah they, they yeah they got kind of put a tree in the back yeah it, it, it's weird i wonder if maybe or a mountain or something yeah, yeah right i wonder if it, if it were like edited somehow and i did want to point out on the digital version that you can buy now in the in the reprint that i did it's a transformers classics um mm-hmm. they tried to color it properly bumblebee and blue streak are colored properly which actually makes it look worse because Bumblebee, they couldn't color yellow because the background is yellow. So they had to, he winds up looking orange. Uh, so so I wonder, do you think oh. that's why they did it on this one too? Is because of the yellow on the background? I don't know. It's, it's Yantab does the coloring throughout the entire series and this kind of stuff will it's just something we come to expect and kind of have to get used to throughout it because there's a lot of issues with this sort of thing. The Fantastic Four, the old ones, used to use yellow backgrounds a lot because the Fantastic Four's costumes were blue. Blue, Yeah, that would make it pop, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no figure. 
Well, you've heard our thoughts. Now let's rate the thing. If you are not in the know, we here at Transformers Chronicles rate things on a scale of 1 to 10, like the tech specs on the toys. One being the lowest and 10 being the highest. But without needing the red plastic triangle, because that's how easy we make things for you, the listener. I'll start first. I'll give this a 7. It's a good cover. Like I, I wanted to rate it higher, maybe even making it blue with some clouds in the background. And you're right, a mountain and properly colored Transformers would have rated it even higher because Jetfire is damn cool. You know, in that he's in action and he's attacking and it accurately depicted the story. I like all of those elements. So I want to keep the score relatively high. What do you think, John? I'm going to give it a seven also. This is one I would forgive the lack of background if it were colored properly. And they had managed mm-hmm. and yeah. just done a different one. Because, as you said, Jetfire looks really cool on here. And it, it is Herb Trimpey. The first person to draw Wolverine is also the first person to draw Jetfire on a cover. So that's something. Heck yeah. Pat, what do you think? Well, I'm not as excited about it as you guys are. So I am going to go... I'm going to go middle of the road here. I'm going to give it a five. Mm-hmm. Even That's though, fair. you know, it's not my jet fire either. Yeah, it's been well, strange. Yeah. The last few, sorry, have been have been like this because my memory of the covers of this series overall are rather positive. Yeah. Well, maybe there's more down the road. I know that there are. There's a couple coming up that I, I know I'll give a, give a 10 to. But I even remember when the stories were kind of puttering along that there still were these awesome covers a lot of the time. So I'm looking forward to some of those. You've got to have those good covers, particularly on the toy properties, Mm -hmm. because you want to advertise the toys, but you want people to be enticed and say, hey, this looks just like the toy I have. Maybe I'm going to like the comic, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a credit to how good the storytelling is at this stage of the comic, because there are the, all of these goof ups in that when it comes to making it look like the toy. But yet people were sticking with this. I mean, this is a toy property that managed 80 issues. You don't get too many of those. Agree. Let's move on to credits. Pat, take it away. For Transformers number 11, it was published by Marvel. You got a cover date of December 1985. But its on-sale date was September 17th, 1985. Cover price for 75 cents. Wow. I miss those days. Heck yeah. (laughs) Think back. uh, Like, I never read them because I only had a limited amount of money to. Oh, yeah. Back when you you got a $5 allowance, 75 cents. that. Well, still, you had to to decide if you were going to get a candy bar or the comic book. Yeah. I know for me, it was G.I. Joe, Transformers. Uh, editor was Mike Carlin. Writer is Bob Budiansky. Penciler, Herb Trimpey. Inker is Tom Palmer. Letterer is Diana Albers. And colorist is Nelson Yamtov. Thanks, Pat. Let's get right to the synopsis. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the The title of this issue is Brainstorm. Buster Wiki has problems, and I'm not talking about Pat always saying he's less than meets the eye. He can't concentrate on studying. He doesn't really want to help his dad with his car repair business, and oh yeah, he can't figure out why he's able to manipulate metal. He suspects Optimus Prime. Elsewhere, Shockwave is upset with Optimus' head because he's not putting out with the Matrix to bring Jetfire to life. He suspects Optimus Prime is somehow transferred to Creation Matrix and verifies it by reading rumbled memory circuits for Buster sneaking into the Ark. Laserbeak recognizes Buster. Optimus is distraught. Prowl has been listening the entire time thanks to GB Blackrock having violated probably a billion laws by spying inside his company. Prowl sends Bumblebee and Blue Streak after Buster. Jesse makes an appearance and asks Buster to go for a bike ride with her. While they're gone, Bumblebee finds Sparkplug, who tells him that his son is in danger. Sparkplug tells him to beat it, but decides to find Buster to protect him. But Blue Streak trails, and they all find Jesse and Buster making out. 
But Laserbeak is spying and tells Shockwave, who sends the not-alive zombie Jetfire after them. But I've run long and I'll wrap up. Laserbeak gets shot, Bumblebee gets kneecapped, Blue Streak was totally useless, and Buster saves the day by using the Creation Matrix to dismantle and reconfigure Jetfire after Bumblebee removes his brain. The book ends with Shockwave calling for the end of Optimus' head. All the Autobots slowly make their way to the Decepticons. A lot of stuff going on, let's talk about the book. On Transformer Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comic, starting with, but not limited to, goods and bads and everyone discusses. Uh, looks like I'm going to go first here, and I'll start with, let's say, a good. I like this issue overall, and I thought that for a pretty wordy book, it was a quick read and the action was flowing nicely. I, I, I enjoyed the read overall. Pat, what do you have? I'm going to kind of piggyback on what you said there. It was a good balance between character build and action. You know, this is the 11th issue that I've read. I am invested, not just because of doing the podcast, but I've grown into knowing these characters. So I'm kind of interested on where we go and, um, you know, what's happening with Buster now. Will he give it back to Optimus Head? <laughs> I mean, Optimus at some head. point, yeah, at some point, you got to think that there's going to be more than just, you know, Optimus Head just sitting there not yeah. doing anything. Doesn't Optimus Head do a G.I. Joe podcast? It's <laughs> <laughs> the G.I. Joe Headcast yeah. by Optimus Head. Optimus Head. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. John, what do you have? Good, bad? Uh, I got it for a good. I like that we got closure on the Buster spark plug story arc that started yeah. in issue one. It wasn't the smoothest. It did kind of get closed like they realized, oh, we only got a couple of pages left in this. In yeah, this when you're under arc. fire and you're getting yeah, yeah. shot. Yeah, well, that was the other thing. They're talking about and all of this. But no, it's, it's nice to see uh, growth, especially since technically it was he didn't even get to start that arc. He didn't write the miniseries. That was Machio, who was um, the best around. No one will. Those are the worst. They get you down. <laughs> uh, but so he got to to do the finishing touch on a story arc, you know, that for two characters that Bob arguably probably had the, la the least amount of input on. Those were characters that were kind of, they were there for the TV series and they were written for him by Machio in the first, even though he did the story. We should get up our courage and ask Bob to be on here so he can, you know, correct me in real time. <laughs> rather than later showing up on Twitter going, oh, actually, John doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, I, I totally you know made what? him. If we did get him on, I think it would be interesting to talk about how he decided to weave the humans into the story because <laughs> he's, he's made Buster a very good character and directly put him in the middle of this crazy action with these alien robots. He couldn't have put him more directly in the action um, if he tried. And then the other thing that I would want to ask him is, like, I'm, I'm always interested in the leaders because leaders have a lot of responsibility and some, and they're oftentimes the focal point. And there have been plenty of people at this point who've written Optimus Prime and uh, Budiansky was the first main one. And so far, he's kind of depicted, op well, he's depicted Optimus Prime as near useless. He's yeah, just been how, ahead. Been, how, yeah, how, many, how long has he been ahead? He's been ahead since issue five. I have a feeling that this don't don't ask me where I get it from, but I have a feeling that this may change next issue. Well, otherwise, the other way, uh, are they just selling Optimus Head toy? Here, <laughs> it's like, does it transform? Nope. nope. <laughs> that would be cool, though. You know what? I would like to. You know, if you can get a little just Optimus Head, kind of with all those wires kind of hanging out in it, and just as a little scenery. I would take like an Optimus Head, like you know paperweight or something yeah maybe you can uh, be an optimus head and you can act hey optimus head what's the weather like out today well today's <laughs> weather is the weather is great transform and roll out okay we should move on i wish the army would have done more i so i'll put that as a low they were just simply there as props they were there supposedly to be the threat to the Decepticons to keep them inside. But every time the Decepticons did anything outside, they just mocked the army and just either flew by them quickly or just stood there and took their best shot and did nothing. <laughs> yeah. I think all their equipment got melted by laser beak like two issues ago. I don't know if yeah. they got new. 
Laserbeak melted the equipment. Then he came out and uh, transmitted a message via the pizza guy and flew off and no one was able to touch him. The army was just there kind of as a, I can't even say a plot device because they didn't even do anything but sit there. So no, no. I was a little disappointed in that. They the, military has, the military has not been doing very well against them, the Decepticons, at all since issue three. When they tried to shoot Megatron. Yeah, where Megatron <laughs> sat there and said, yep, all right, come out. Well, that's issue four. Shot. They unloaded on him, and his response was, ah! <laughs> Good times. <laughs> he turns around and leaves, so yeah. Well, the it's only humans we've, we've seen who have been able to strike, we've now seen two, possibly three if you include Spider-Man, that have been able to... Um, you know, fight with them on their own terms. And Circuit Breaker was able to take a couple of them out and do some serious damage, and now we've seen what Buster can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a couple of extraordinary humans, but the army itself, not very extraordinary. No. Nah. They even let a pizza guy just go in and out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy's got to be like, hey, man, I'm making big bucks here. Heck yeah. Mozzarella Mike to the rescue. Yep. And I got to give, uh, you know, we talk about leadership. That's pretty good leadership skills for Shockwave to say, you know what? I got to make sure these people that are in here that I'm holding hostage get some food and drink and, you know. <laughs> some call it leadership skills. Others call it doing the absolute minimum to people to make sure that your um, your workforce doesn't die. He could have just gave him something different. At least he was getting them pizza. We will keep that in mind, Pat, if you're ever subjected to slavery. Even though, if you remember, um, the two human characters, was it Ferdy and Gabe? Yeah, those two. Yeah. And ever since Maggie read it the first time, I still I hear their voices in, in my head as Cliff and Norm from Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool little piece of continuity that Bob put them back in the book like that. Mm-hmm. Bob does a lot of neat characters. He's pretty good at like creating a character that has a memorable aspect about them and you know keeps them around for a little while and then moves on to the next one he creates. So Pat, I do you want, got something? I'm gonna talk about a jet fire. Ooh. I like Jetfire, but I like the toy, and the reason why I like the toy is because the toy reminds me of a Robotech fighter. It should. When I saw that in here and didn't see, it's like, hey, he's not looking like he should. You know, when he's kind of robot mode, looks looks all right, but then when he transforms into it, I'm like, wait, what's all this other stuff that's on this, and how is he he doing it? But he doesn't, you know, maybe there's more to him in the comic. Will we see more of him? It is safe to say that you will see more of Jetfire. And I would say you're going to at least see him next issue. That right. would be a, a reasonable guess because well, they yeah. him, even though he is lifeless <laughs> and now without a brain. What I was going to say, technically, you haven't really seen him. You've well, just yeah. seen this zombie Jetfire, which that's yeah. a weird thing. Dalvin, you managed to miss out on uh, Jason's and my uh, giant existential questions about what makes a robot alive that confused Pat. But mm-hmm. but it's even more on this. They were doing things like Bumblebee was able to learn that something was off with Jetfire because he didn't cry out in pain when he was obviously hurt. And so Buster, therefore, he knew he wasn't alive. And so Buster was able to use the creation matrix on him because he wasn't alive. It was just a bunch of metal, essentially, with a brain, yeah. but no soul, no spark. They don't have the term spark yet, but that's what they're talking about. So in this, it's interesting that that's I, I like that once that's why this creation matrix doesn't work on anybody once they are a robot. You know, once they are a transformer, then they're a person and you can't do anything to them. But once before that, they're just part. Yeah. They went out of their way a couple of times to define what was the difference between a living Transformer and and what's not. Bob did a good job with that. Mm -hmm. First of all, it was he had Shockwave say, well, okay, I'm not able to access the creation matrix that brings the robot to life. You're hiding something from me, Optimus. And even though he was able to animate him or animate Jetfire, I should say, to do what he needed to do. He was clearly not alive. And then Bumblebee followed that up by saying, yeah, he, he's not he's not crying out in pain like any other robot would. So it's not alive and did all of that to say that's what the creation matrix is for. 
That was a heck of a bit of explanation. That's something that could be very complex that Bob did a very good job of relating to anyone reading the book, even us now, you know, adults in our 40s. And, and he sets that up too, having Bumblebee get shot first. And, oh, yeah. and he Ooh, screams out, he screams out, yow. That's a good What was that? How did he scream out? Yow. <laughs> like a yow, yow, yow. Ow. Ah. Yeah, true. That's a good point, Pat. As did Blue Streak after he was standing, he was pulling a huffer and just kind of standing there like an idiot and then get shot. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh man. I'm not a fan of Blue Streaks. Like, you've got Bumblebee, who has no weaponry, and he picked up a rock and tried to at least hit right. Jetfire with it. He, so, yeah, Bumblebee, who was one of the physically weakest Transformers with no weaponry, and he didn't give up fighting. And Blue Streak, as soon as something was bigger than him, was like, uh, uh, uh. What's cool about that is that that's from the tech specs. Uh, that's Blue Streak's weakness, is that if he's confronted with more than one thing, he, he has trouble making a decision. Interesting. So, so he stands there frozen. And Bumblebee has a courage of 10, so he's going to chuck rocks at the side of Unicron if he has to. Nice. Nice. That's why you're here, John. Very good Sherpa-like advice. Thank you. Do you have anything else to add for the book? Actually, one thing I did have, it's an interesting thing they're setting up. There's still a bit of a story arc to happen with Buster that'll get finished up next time. But I do like what they're saying about the differences between Josie and Buster, who are two characters who have their lives thrown upside down because of the Transformers, one by the Autobots, the other by the Decepticons, respectively, and their lives kind of go to crap. The difference is what they do about it. Buster up until, and, and keep in mind, his story arc isn't over yet. He has the fittest, but he's been spending his time up to this kind of feeling sorry for himself. And this one even refers to himself as a freak. And then he does do the thing in the awesome splash page mm -hmm. when he has the touch, he has the power. and <laughs> Yeah! 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 yeah. <laughs> and takes apart Jetfire like that. It's pretty great picture. Those of you who have not seen this one, it is worth looking up that artwork on there. It's mm -hmm. That's a good for that. He had to be told what to do. And he's kind of still being led around by anything. The only agency he actually shows in this is when he um, goofs with Jesse's bicycle so that he can make out with her. Whereas Josie, when confronted with this, immediately does everything to make herself as powerful as she can. So both of them, so he has his superpowers thrust upon him, as it were, whereas she's a self-made woman. You have Buster, who's a teenager. He's a high school, maybe senior at this point, so about 17. Yeah, sure. And you know how all of us as teenagers are in some form or another, oh, I just want to be normal. And <laughs> <laughs> then there's Josie, who is an adult, and she is, I'm assuming, um, an electrical engineer and just absolutely brilliant and is past that point of awkwardness where she realized that if she wanted to not be on that bed forever, she better use her brain and find a way to get out of that bed. And she did. And so she's not ashamed of anything that she is. They did a great buildup of having Buster finally come out of his shell and be his own person to use that immense power that he has right now. It was a cool mm -hmm. moment. There's one more thing I wanted to bring up. And I think that Bob has done a great job doing the spy versus spy where with that with the telephone listening device which mm -hmm. you guys discussed properly was completely illegal <laughs> for, for BlackRock to have but he did and it allowed the it allowed Prowl to spy on what Shockwave's doing and it's it's been a very good story of back and forth of how and then Shockwave may not have realized yet that he's being listened to but he was able to, to find the human and knew that the Autobots had a soft spot for the human and was able to still use that. So they, they've had a very good spy versus spy game going on. That's a cool way to think of it. Of course, now I'm thinking Mad Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, do you have anything else? I have one little thing yet. It's a bit with Laserbeak. If you'll notice in this, Laserbeak is squawking. Mm -hmm. And the animal tapes did speak in the original miniseries. Um, yeah. 
and they it seems like Bob's do not. And that I don't know if that was in line to get more in line with how the TV show had it. But from this point on, they don't really talk anymore. Ravage is the same thing. He just growls and hisses and things. Okay. Cool. Pat, anything else? No, I think we covered it for this issue. Now's the time for us to talk about who had the touch. Where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. See, I'm not Jason. (laughs) You got the touch! You got the power! Yeah! Looks like I'll go first. Man, who had the touch? I think there are a few candidates in this book. Like I'm not going to pick. Agreed, I'm not yeah. gonna pick Shockwave again, even though I, I'm I'm still just impressed with Shockwave's intelligence and his intuitiveness. I'll go with Buster. Yeah, Buster, Buster realized what he had. He's kind of suspected what it is, and once he was told what it was, and he had to stand up to that moment, to that big moment. He he did. He rose to the moment. And he did exactly what he had to do. So I'm going to give the touch to Buster. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I am going to agree with you as well on Buster. I think he did it in two different ways. One, he kind of stood up to his dad and let him know what was happening finally. Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of worried about, I don't want to, you know, get my dad hurt or hurt my dad's feelings. He thinks, you know, he's really thinking of me now. And so I got to give him props for that. And then also, you know, props for figuring out you know what this ability he has and how he can control it but i want to give a runner up to bumblebee like you said he wasn't armed and in that time they were getting attacked he took control and kind of led a little bit and you know with blue streak kind of freezing up like that Mm -hmm. bumblebee telling buster what he had to do and how to do it yeah i gotta give him runner up and i think that's a great runner up john yeah, I very nearly uh, chose both of those, and good points can be made, were made by you guys for the Bumblebee especially. Bumblebee is, he didn't have to go through the ratchet level of whinging over whether or not I can fight as a warrior. No, he's just there throwing rocks. But I'm actually going to give it to Sparkplug for finally being able to get over his own self when presented with the information and like says the final words to give his uh, buster the kick in the butt he needs. Yeah. And then Tells him about how proud he is and all of this and gets over the entire thing and is a real father to him when he needs it. So good job, Sparkplug. Yeah, I thought that was awesome because he was faced with losing his son as far as taking over his business, which is what he seems to want. His son came to him with something that was completely unique and alien, literally, and he could have disowned his son. He could have said, you're not my son. You're not anything I raised and you have to go. And instead he accepted what his son was. And I think that's a, a very cool thing. And he gets a, a great line toward the end. You know me, son, I've never been the interfering father type, at least not for the last minute or two. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was funny. Yeah, it was. It was. That was a good line. And just once again, a good indicator of how Budiansky is able to just work those human touches in. He does a great job at that. So if we talked about who had to touch, then someone had to be out of touch. And we talk about that character who's the worst in the book. And they should be forced to evacuate the area after Pizza Guy did more to advance the action. In a segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. I'm going to go with Blue Streak here. I thought it'd be all that, especially you got two rockets and you got all this equipment on you. Why you need to be using it, buddy, here? <laughs> John? Rumble. Let a uh, human sneak by, sneak by him in order to get oh. the creation matrix. And this gets found out by getting drilled in the back of the head with an actual drill. <laughs> so Rumble wasn't feeling it this time around. So we don't see much of him. Going forward from here, I wonder if that drill went in a little too hard. (laughs) Mm. 
maybe. He's leaking oil out of his mouth now. <laughs> Who you got, Delvin? It, it's a tie. If it's not Blue Streak, and since Pat did a good job of discussing his frustrations, I share those. I mentioned them before, and I'm going to go with the United States Army here. They just <laughs> they just served no purpose whatsoever. They stood out there the entire time. They were inept, and it was leaving the colonel in a position where he was trying to get intelligence from the pizza delivery guy. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> it's, it's just not good you they, they didn't even try and sneak a guy in there to like i mean right now they're being spied upon by a telephone and yet the army couldn't get anyone in there they were just like oh let's blast them nope army did not uh, do their job yeah this is the same army that let spider-man sneak by them with an entire bunch of vehicles just by wearing an army hat that he stole from someone and sitting in hound <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I, we, that's another question we can ask Bob if he's, if he's ever on the show. Is, you know, did, did he have a bone to pick with the U.S. Army? Because they are not being all they can be. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're being the army of one, as in one guy. <laughs> yeah, and even that one is pretty dang enough. Anyway, let's... Maybe, maybe we'll need to have Jason on again, too. Since he was yes. in the army, yes, Jason would have some words to say about us ragging on the <laughs> army like this. So we might get a sternly written letter from Jason. Well, it wasn't Jason's time at this time. Nope, nope. nope. He's back in action film face off. This is my show again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jason so, wasn't serving at this time. <laughs> oh no! Wait, no, no. That was, he, he was young. He was still a kid. Now's the time for overall ratings for the book. To recap for the audience, we use the old tech specs. One to ten, one low, ten high. Let's talk about it. John, what do you rate the book? Oof, I was just trying to think about that. I'm going to give this a nine. I'm feeling pretty high on this after this whole review that we've done. Any flaws that I have, I've got some minor quibbles with the art and the inking throughout it, but I'm primarily a story person. Plus, the art is pretty decent overall, and some of the, and the parts that are good are very good. And the story is just great zips on through it's a it's the kind of condensed but thorough storytelling we've come to expect with bob throughout this whole story arc and he really sets up the next one and the next time we'll see what the climax is nice pat what do you think i'm gonna give it an eight my reasoning is i think this one is more of a like i said some character building in this and it was more on the human side than on the robot side I think, you know, I was more, more interested in what's going on on the human side than I was on the robot side. Yeah. Bob has done that a couple of times where, you know, he's advancing the story of the robots, yeah. but he's he's gotten in almost sometimes few panels, some really good human interaction as well. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this an eight as well. It was a good story. And there are a lot of elements to like. The robot action fighting was good. The robot plotting action with Shockwave versus Prowl was excellent as well. Uh, Optimus Prime feeling remorse for the situation that he put Buster in. And mm -hmm. then you had Sparkplug wanting to take care of his son, but letting his son grow. You know what? I'm, I'll bump it up to a nine. I'll bump it up to a nine. There are just a lot of good elements. And it's also the continuation of a really good storyline there it, it, they've just bob has just been slowly and intricately since about issue five weaving this story together and he's done a really good job at it it's been a it's been a very good plot so i'll bump it up to a nine very good book so with that we can and we'll never leave you without john's segment of the show called transformer spotlight where he discusses a particular transformer which was featured in today's issue all yours john uh, today we're talking about the most important Transformer in this issue, Blue Streak. No, I mean Jetfire. All right, if you were lucky enough to get <laughs> Jetfire back in 1985, here's what was on the back of the box. Allegiance, Autobot, Function, Air Guardian. Among mysteries of science lies the key to victory. Swiftest Autobot, daring in battle, believes victory will come via technological advancement. Adds twin scramjet modules and liquid hydrogen fuel tanks to escape Earth's gravity. Flies halfway around the world in 30 minutes. Carries four particle beam cannons and heat-seeking photon missiles prone to mechanical failures due to advanced technology. That's pretty fast. 
Yeah, it is. His strength is six. Remember, this is all one to ten. Uh, intelligence is ten. Speed is ten. His endurance is four. His rank is ten. Figure that out. He, Optimus Prime, and Grimlock all have ranks of ten. His courage is nine. His firepower is seven. And his skill is nine. Get comfortable for a moment, gentlemen. Jetfire's got a bit of a story going on with him. All right, he is a redeco of the Takatuko Toys Macros VF-1S Super Valkyrie, originally designated by mecha designer Shoji Kalamari. Uh, Jetfire features three modes in the original toy, a robot, jet, and an alternate transformation, which is called the Jerwak form in Macros and the Guardian form in Robotech that displays his arms and legs in Jetmo. Additionally, Jetfire came with several red pieces of armor and a rocket booster backpack that could snap onto his arms, legs, and back in any mode. He is larger than and has noticeably more articulation than most of the other Transformers in the line of the time. He is really, really, really cool. Mm-hmm. But he did have some issues though. The shoulder assembly where the jet mode folds in half for the robot mode, that's one of the more commonly broken parts in the early Transformers toy line. TFU.info, it's got some neat pictures, is where I found most of this stuff. But because of all that, it's very difficult to find a complete Jetfire toy of the original one, let alone an undamaged one. The white coloration of the figure is also heavily susceptible to yellowing, even if properly stored. But there were two main variations of the toy. One actually had the Macros UN Spacey logo on the wings, and one didn't. The Macros logo was (laughs) either painted on or came as a sticker. The logo-less variant has a continuous red strip along the length of the wing, while both logo versions have a slight gap in the paint app surrounded the logo. Now, because of the fact that Jetfire was designed after a toy in one of Takara's main toy competitors, this led to a bit of a snag when it came to featuring the character on the G1 cartoon. And also subsequently how the character was depicted in the comic book. So Takara insisted that for the cartoon, which was going to be shown in Japan as well, the Jetfire be redesigned dramatically from the toy and used sparingly. That, and probably due to the speculation we were having on trying to make sure that the brands matched up as well, that's why Jetfire here winds up looking like he does in the comic. If you look at a couple of where he first appears, I think in like eight or nine, his alt mode looks a lot more like the Jetfire, the Robotech one. Mm-hmm. As for why Hasbro then took the extra step of changing his name to Skyfire in the show, nobody really knows. Um, it's generally assumed that they made up a new name because he didn't look like his toy anymore. That's what some people said, but there's a lot of them on the show that don't look like their toy. But it could be that they came up with the title of his intro episode, Fire in the Sky, and then changed it to better complement the title, This Fire, Fire in the Jet makes uh, less sense. In both the Marvel comics and the cartoon, uh, Jetfire or Skyfire started off as a Decepticon. And it looks like he's a scientist, at least on the textbook and the cartoon. He's less so in the comics as it goes on. Uh, in the cartoon, he's from Cybertron, though, rather than being created on Earth. Uh, but he came to Earth before the Ark got here and was trapped there. It was a good episode. Uh, he even shows up in the second Michael Bay movie and is originally a Decepticon there also. That's, I'm the furthest thing from a Bayformers fan, but I did like that Jetfire in that movie transformed into an SR-71 Blackbird, and he had a line that actually made me laugh out loud in the theater, which is really sad because I, that means I saw it in the theater. And <laughs> <laughs> that's Jetfire. And I will do my best to forgive you for even mentioning Michael Bay on this podcast. Also, Let's go to the promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Well, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married, we change our names, we combine our comic collections, we start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. (laughs) She goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um, (laughs) And then apparently he's so... 
consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> yeah. and now, uh, a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. <laughs> a brainwave right? camera. Oh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast, where two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marywcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. We now return to the Transformers. Now it's time for transmissions where we heap praise upon the audience for listening to us. Whoop, whoop. Yay. We really do appreciate all the love and attention we get from the show that at least two out of three of us don't get in real life. So I got cats. (laughs) All right. We will talk about Transformers issue 10. Y'all, we lost nine somewhere there out in the cosmos. Uh, If you had a like, share, retweet there and we didn't get to your name, we profusely apologize. Like and share or retweet the next one. Yeah, why didn't you Maybe like, we'll share, or retweet ten? What's wrong with you guys? Yeah, and and, and mention and mention mention the next one or twelve or something, <laughs> and, and we'll get to your name. We promise, but we do apologize for not uh, getting to you uh, if you were unique to issue nine for whatever reason. Yes, we do. But let's get to the social media like, shares, and retweets from Aaron Head Moss, Aaron Head Moss, Alec Edward Taylor, Angelica Fetty, Hungry Like the Wolves, Ben Terrell, Black Rocks Toy Box, Chris at BTO and Fat Books. Okay, we got it. All right. Clifford Alvarez. Clinton Robinson. Clinton Robinson's podcast, Coffee and Comics, has become sentient and like, shared, or retweeted on its own. Watch out for that. Danilo Dulay. Debeche. Deborah Smith. Derek William Crabb. Dustin Staub. Eight Francis Jose. Galtum Shoren. Dr. G. Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Hendricks. Gooeybot 12,000. Grant Carlton. Green Lantern HG. Al Jordan. Homeschool Film School. Ivan Chudley. Or is it Cooley? You can. It's, it's allowed. Jared Albrecht. Or is it Albrecht? The Yardstale Artist. I've heard it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hurt for that one. <laughs> Jason Albrecht. Jeremy Spalding. Well, you Khalid. good balls. <laughs> uh, Khalid McBain. Mark M. Ryan. Max Traber. Mike Garvey. Mike Gala. Nicholas Mavridis. Philip O.H. Professor Frenzy. It's, it's a show. It's a show. Rolando Diaz. Some guy named Ryan Daly. Shahid Davis. Saeed Winchester. And my new favorite uh, Twitter name ever, uh, the Autumnal Sphinx Magoo. Sounds like that comes with pumpkin spice. <laughs> so the, the six ha- spice girl. Nice. The hammer strikes and random geeky stuff. Oh, boys, it's my turn. Here we go. <laughs> Give me a beat. <laughs> well, ain't no packing like the unpacking power of the unpacking power of the horror pack of the horror pack of the pump pack power. Horror pack power. Pump pack. <laughs> he, he was saying horror there, just so you guys. Was he? I was, sure. it, was it? I was I? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> last time I tried it, Japan. <laughs> Vandal caps lock. And last but certainly not least, Zachary Carter. If we happen to miss a few, we apologize. We're human. It's certainly a good problem to have, but we absolutely do not want to forget to recognize anyone. Just ping us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and we will correct it next issue. Now we'll move on to social media comments from... First one is Green Lantern HG, who's fighting the darkness. 
keep keep the fight up. Keep up the good fight. Uh, and Green Lantern says, and of course, I have to give at Weasel Skull the trophy. Yeah, yeah, well, how can you not laugh with his reading a comment and go, D Ray, you suck. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. That's, that's not funny. I don't like that. Yeah. Well, not you're not, you're not going to keep up the darkness away by being mean like that, dude. That's right. But he makes it up. Here we go. Uh, he says, an episode without D Ray, 90%. Wait. It was we at Wizard Skull in it? Ooh, 1,000%. Just kidding, Delvin. Great episode, guys. And he said, I would definitely be part of the Crusader Combiner. Maybe we can call it Crusinator. Crusinator? Yeah. Crusinator. Come with me if you want to live. (laughs) Come with me if you want to build a giant satellite dish and call Cybertron. Come with me if you want to crusade. (laughs) <laughs> all right ryan daly said haven't finished listening yet but delvin's voice sounds sexier than ever this time i'm sensing a theme i hope he's finished listening to it by now yeah um and maybe him and jason can get a room together once this is all over it's possible we'll have to check on that let's see Black Rock's Toy Box. he says i'm not exactly huffer's biggest fan but i thought the disdain went too far it wasn't funny after the first time or two. Dang. I mean. Oof. I'll <laughs> speak to that. So okay. I, I did I did want to speak to that. No, I see. Because, you know, the, we did ask at one point for feedback on negativity. And this is the second time that uh, GB has said something. So it's from my perspective, whenever we're making fun of something, we're doing it, you know, with a side of love. On the other hand, if I don't like something, I'm going to say I don't like that. I think Huffer's a pretty lame character. At the end of the day, these are just opinions on characters we have. And we can all have different, we can all like in different things and don't. We can still like each other, I think. Till Particular, all particularly, the Huffer sucks. That's exactly right. I'm kidding also. I wasn't there for that show, but here is what I'll add to that. I will add that we certainly all have a, well, Pat's learning to have a love, and John and I have Mm -hmm. a love for Transformers. And guess what? We have some favorites sometimes, and sometimes we have our not-so-favorites. And you're definitely going to hear that from us, because I think if you just came to the show and we were all sunshine and rainbows, uh, you may think we were shining it on a little bit. So we like something, like, we're definitely going to speak up for it. If we don't, we are at least going to let you know why we don't. We're not just going to pile up. But at the end of the day, it's just dudes talking about toys. <laughs> yes, sir. That's good feedback. Thank you, BlackRock, though. We definitely appreciate yep, you reaching out to us and providing us some feedback. Thank you. And I'll end up with uh, Jason Albrecht, who says, thanks for letting me play with your toys. And thanks for being on, Jason. It was a heck of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Had a good time. Oh, yeah. Jason did a great job, if I may humbly say so. I think the switch up is a success. I could promise that sometime in the near future, we're going to have the other brother, Albrecht, uh, on as well. He has been uh, chomping at the bit to come over here to the show. And maybe maybe, uh, if they're feeling froggy, uh, they can get either uh, John or Pat over to Action Film Faceoff as well. Because uh, it was a lot of fun doing that show, too. I was was nervous. You did great. I liked listening to you over there, by the way. And if anybody who listens to our to this show that doesn't listen to the other one, normally uh, go over and give it a listen for Delvin. And then maybe you'll find some other shows you like over there. Thanks for that, John. You're welcome. And with that, that's the show. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 12. If you'd like to hear more from us, the Long Boss Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcatchers at Longbox Crusade. You can find us on the website at www.longboxcrusade.com, on Twitter at Longbox Crusade, Facebook and Instagram, Longbox Crusade, Patreon also at Longbox Crusade. We would also like to say a special thank you to our Crusaders Club members as well. Thank you so much for your patronage, for your friendship, and for your kindness. You can also find us on YouTube. Every second Sunday, we do a Do It live stream uh, once a month. And if you subscribe, we've got a few subscribers, and we usually have a pretty good time there. And on every show, we give away some stuff, too. If you're a Crusaders Club member or not, we still give you an opportunity to uh, get some free swag and just come and hang out with us. You can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. John, why don't you tell us about your podcast and where you can be found on the internet? Uh, Check out the Rod Pod, where my wife Maggie and I cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order. And we also do Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else, uh, sometimes even comic books. 
Uh, you can find um, that by looking up Married with Comics on any of your basic podcatchers, same places mentioned before, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, etc. You can find me directly at MWC underscore podcast at Twitter. If you like talking to Maggie more, and you probably should, you can find her at Maggie N. The Lane. Um, also, um, you get us directly at marriedwcomics at gmail.com or look for the Married with Comics podcast on Facebook. What about you, Pat? Where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And Delvin, where can they find you? I can be found on Twitter at DEE underscore RAY 1977. Thank you for listening. See you next time. And remember, freedom is the right. All sentient beings to all are one. I won. Till all are one. Till all are one. I'm getting it. Nice. We got that into it now. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah. and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. You seem to know just what it takes, you're a fighter.